Some of you may or may not know that I used to be in the services. I used to be in the Royal Navy. And, um, and while I was in that time, I served for 22 years, serving Queen and Country. And during that time, I was awarded uh, these medals. And they're not particularly significant. This is not me showing off. Just wanted to make a point that um, in those 22 years, I was given these uh, medals, or these five. And one of them was um, given by NATO, so there's, there's nothing really regal on it. But the other four, I've got the Queen's head on it. And every one is different. Every single one is different. But it's got the Queen's head on it because I served the Queen. We talk about serving Queen and country. I'm not here to talk about me this morning. I'm not here to talk about the Queen either. But I think it's worth referencing that she has been on the throne for 70 years. And love the Queen or not, and let's face it, the monarchy, not just the one now, but in the past, it's not always been uh, incredible. It's got a bit of a checkered past, hasn't it, like most of us. But love the Queen or not, we can love the fact that we have a head of state that loves God. We have someone in a position, not necessarily of authority, but people listen to her. They recognize her. And she speaks about Jesus. She talks about her faith. She talks about Jesus Christ as if he's real, because he is. And she loves him. So I loved serving the queen. My tiny bit of pride for that, that time, I loved serving the queen. But the queen loves serving God. And she takes it seriously. She takes serving us seriously, and she loves serving God. But not all of our kings and queens have, have been that great. Not always been that wonderful. You look at the history of kings and queens and monarchies over the years. It's not been that great. I love reading the period of history around Henry VIII. I just love that, the, the middle of the 16th century, the Reformation, all the things around Henry VIII, the, the birth of the, the Royal Navy. I, I love reading around that, that history. But as I was reading recently, it really kind of troubled my soul that, that Henry VIII, the founder of the Church of England, because he wanted a new church because it was convenient, he said that as the sovereign, as the anointed sovereign of the Church of England, that when he said something, when he did something, it was as if God was acting. Whatever he did or said, it was God. It was as if God was acting. And it troubled me so much. But this is what happens when you give absolute power to one person. When you give absolute power to the wrong people. You know, Marie Antoinette, the Queen of France, when France was struggling, they were in revolution. And the people had no bread to eat. And when she heard this, she said, well, let them eat cake. Such was her compassion. King Herod the Great decided to kill babies under the age of two so that he could try and wipe out the baby that threatened him as king of the Jews. You know, we think that we know something about the history of kings, that they would be well avoided. We think that we would perhaps steer away from them. You know, that's a debate for the future. You probably know already where my heart lies. But um, that's the debate for the future. But you'd think they'd be well avoided, giving power to one person. You only have to look around the world today and see what happens when you give absolute power to one person. I want to read to you from 1 Samuel chapter 8 this morning because we see the, the Israelites looking for a king. It was how their first king came into being, King Saul. And they wanted a king. So this is 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. Israel asked for a king. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us. 
such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know that the king, or let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone, go back to your own town. The Israelites wanted a king. It wasn't enough that they had God. It wasn't enough that God was their God and they were his people. They needed or wanted a king. And there's three things I wanted to look at very briefly in this passage before I move on. Um, what it tells us about perhaps us, about the state of the human heart, no matter how good we think things are, no matter how good we think we've got it, we always want that little bit more and we're never quite satisfied. The first thing I saw was they needed to be in control. They wanted to be in control. We'll choose. We'll choose a king. We'll decide who rules over us. We'll decide where we go from here. You know, in all of us, there's this innate desire to be in control. We like to decide. We like to think we know best. The Israelites decided they knew what was best, even after all that God had done for them. They still put their faith in a man. The king that God had described, the one that the Israelites would have, was selfish, self-centered. He was a greedy taskmaster, and yet still they wanted this king. They wanted to choose. Yet Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this is a king who invites us to be like him, to do things his way and to trust him. He doesn't dictate, doesn't decree or demand, but he delivers us with a choice, a choice to follow him and live a life like you could only dream of. So if you're faithful to him, you will experience faithfulness like no other. Earthly kings want to control us. They want to take lives to achieve whatever they want to achieve, and they pay no heed to us. 
But instead of taking lives, King Jesus gave up his life so that we could have a choice. I wonder what you will do with it today. Are you going to keep tight control of your life or are you going to give it to the one who died for you so that you can live? They needed to be in control. The second thing is they put their trust in a man or in themselves. They trusted a mere man and a man that would let them down. Again, we, we see that they think they know best. This started in the Garden of Eden. You know, God said to them, you can have whatever you want. Eat whatever you want, but just not that. Just not that. But guess what? We knew best. We knew best and said, you know what? I know God said that. God said, don't do that, but surely it'll be okay. One whisper, one temptation, and God was out the window. We know best. If we just have a king, we'll be fine. If we just have a king, I can see a king. I can hang my hat on a king. I can trust a king because I can see a king. It made me think about, as I was reading this, about uh, celebrity pastors. You know, we, I follow them. Other people follow them. But just wouldn't just ask the question, are we following them or are we following what they say? Are we following them because they're cool? They're a lot cooler than me. Are we following them because they're cool or are we following them because of what they say is so great? And I hope it is because what they say is so great. It's so easy to follow a man and not follow the king. You know, perhaps it's a particular brand of music or a particular brand of church that we like. And we can fall into that. And if you listen to my, my music collection, my, my worship albums that I listen to, there's a whole wide range of, of music. But I choose the music because it points me to Jesus. It's not because a particular artist has made it or a particular church has developed it. I just love it because it points me to Jesus. I think we just need to be wary of what we put our trust in. You know, I would say to you this morning, don't put your trust in me. You may look at me here, preaching to you with a microphone, and you might feel like putting your trust in me, but don't, because I will let you down. If I haven't already, some of you might be thinking, I will let you down, because I'm a human. Despite my best efforts, I will let you down. So who are you going to put your trust in? There's only one that you can put your trust in. There's only one who won't let you down. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord. The Israelites could have trusted in the Lord. He'd shown them how faithful he was. He'd shown them how good he was. But still, they wanted to lean on their own understanding. Still, they wanted to trust in a man. It would be easy to make a case for the Israelites, really. It would be easy to, to feel sorry for them in a way. Because these scriptures that I'm reading to you, we are privy to these. We read these. They didn't have them at the time. But let's look at what they, what they did have, what they had seen. They had a savior who was sent to free them from slavery. They had the Red Sea split in two so they could escape their enemy. They had a pillar of cloud by day to show them the way. They had a pillar of fire by night. They had food falling from heaven. They had water coming out of a rock. But no, let's have a king. Let's have a king. Everything that God had done for them, everything they knew about God, this oral tradition that had been passed down about how good and how great God was, and still they wanted to choose a man to rule over them. Don't trust in men. Trust in God. The third thing I saw was a need to fit in. Twice in this passage, if you noticed it, twice in this passage it says, we will be like other nations. We can have a king like other nations. We can be like them. In 1 Peter, it says, Be just as he who called you is holy. So be holy in all you do. 
for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, holy isn't some unobtainable, super holy, super perfect standard. That's not what holy is. Holy is to be set apart. Our God is holy is because he is different. Our God is holy because he is perfect. He is like no other God. He is set apart, and we are called to be the same. We are called to be set apart. We are called to be different. We're not called to be the same as everybody else. Romans 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God calls us to be like him, not to be like the world. We are called to live in the world, to be a beacon of light. You can only be the light if you turn it on. You can only be a light if you show it, if you are different. Darkness in darkness can't be seen, but light in the darkness dispels darkness. We're called to be different. We don't need to fit into the world when we know that we are welcomed into the family of God with open arms. There's nothing the world can offer us that is better than being in the family of God. There's nowhere else I would rather be than here this morning. My children aren't here. My wife's not here. There's nowhere else I would rather be here than here this morning because God is here. And I'm amongst family. I'm in your family and you are my family. We're in the family of God. We don't need to fit into the world because we have our own family. Romans 8 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you've dis- you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Israelites were God's children. They were his chosen people. And still, they wanted to choose a king. The Israelites were looking for a king. But they were looking for a king in all the wrong places. And for all the wrong reasons. You know, there is always supposed to be a king. There was supposed to be a king. But it wasn't the one they wanted. It wasn't a broken, self-centered, controlling man. But God himself, in the form of his son. Fully human and fully God. God described himself as their king in verse 7 of our passage. He says, they have rejected me as their king. I want to be their king. I can be their king. I can be the one they follow. I can be the one that fights their battles. I can be the one that loves them. I can be the one that shows them a better way. But they wanted a man. But he was always coming, this king. This king that we all need was always coming. Isaiah 9 says, For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Hallelujah. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Zechariah 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. That's the people of God. Rejoice greatly. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There's a clue to the type of king that we will have, victorious but humble. And in Luke 1 it says, he will be great 
and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. See, this king that was coming was the Son of God. He was the Son of David, and therefore King of the Jews. But he would reign over Jacob's descendants, that's all of us, forever. See, God's kingship was rejected by the Israelites. They wanted a man. They wanted a king. And so God knew he was going to have to provide another king. He was going to have to do this differently. See, God wanted to be Lord and King of Israel, but was repeatedly rejected. He knew he would need to send his son as the king of kings to rescue the Israelites and to the rest of the world from themselves. God knew he would need, sorry, God knew we needed the king of kings, not a human king. We needed a king who would show us how to live, show us who God is, and a king that would die for us, a king that would rescue us, not a king who would lord it over us and take everything from us that we have. You think of that list of all the things that the king that would preside over Israel would take from them. Was there actually anything left? He would take nearly everything they had. But God was going to send a king, instead of taking everything, was going to give everything. God gave us a king who would give us his life. In exchange, asked for nothing but our hearts. He had a plan to give us a king all along, and his name was Jesus. So what was the nature of this king? What was the nature of Jesus, this true king? I want to look briefly in Mark 15 at the story of Jesus' crucifixion. You see, the Israelites wanted a king that would take them into battle. And God gave us a king that would take us into battle. But it was a battle that only he could fight. And it was a battle that would end all battles. It was a victory that would be once and for all. He would be a king and he would go into battle. And he went into battle for you and for me. Now, In the first part of Mark 15, it talks about Jesus as the king of the Jews. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. The night before, Jesus had said to the Sanhedrin that he was indeed the Messiah. He was the Son of God. And he was labeled as the king of the Jews. And this is mockery. As Pilate says to him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so. Jesus replied, later it says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? As Pilate talks to the Jews, as he talks to the Israelites, he says, do you want me to release to you this king of the Jews? This mocking tone in his voice. And later he releases another slave. He says, what shall I do then with the one that you call the king of the Jews? The one you call the king of the Jews. Who is this king who stands before me in chains? Who is this king who stands before me doing nothing, saying nothing, answering nothing? This is a king. You're king of the Jews? What would you have me do with this king of the Jews? And what did they say? Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers mocked Jesus. The mocking was not complete. They put a purple robe on him, robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. We read on. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. 
They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped results on him. You know, when the crowd replies, crucify him, they didn't realize that this king has to die. His reign turns on his death and that he is simultaneously king and suffering servant. The soldiers fall on their knees in mock homage, crying, Hail, King of the Jews. In fact, he is more than the King of the Jews. He is the King of Kings. One day, each of these soldiers and everyone else will bow down before the resurrected man they mocked and crucified, and they will confess that he is Lord. People mocked. He can't save himself. But if he'd come down off that cross and saved himself, as the mockers put it, he would not have paid for our mistakes that reconciles us to God. I doubt very much any one of us would even be here this morning. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Wrong again. This is the man who voluntarily goes to the cross. They say he can't save himself. It's ridiculously limiting of the king of kings. He couldn't save himself and save others. That was the point. He couldn't save himself and save others. He saves others by not saving himself. This was a king that was continually giving. Not taking, but giving. Our king does all the giving, and we do all the taking. He is a wonderful king. This gospel, this good news, is not advice. It's a summons to follow a king, to give him your life. To believe Jesus' news will be to believe that he is your king. He's not just any king. He's your king and he's my king. He's our personal saviour and our king. And you matter to him. He's a personal king. If you've been looking for a king, someone to save you, someone to guide you, someone to follow, someone that will give you a reason to live, I believe you might say something like this to you this morning. Follow me. Because I'm the king you've been looking for. Follow me. Because I have authority over everything. Yet I humbled myself for you. Because I died on the cross. For you. Even when you didn't have the right beliefs or the right behavior. Because I have brought you news, not advice. Because I am your true love. Your true life. Follow me. I wonder what your life might look like if you had surrendered it to a perfect king. One who loves you more than you love yourself. A king who would sooner wash your feet than extract taxes from you. The king who instead of taking all that you have for himself, takes away your sin, your grief, your pain, your sorrow, your shame and worry. The king who instead of giving commands and decrees, gave up his life. And gives endless grace, endless mercy and compassion and eternal life with him in glory. I wanted to exalt our king this morning. We've talked a lot about a queen for the last four days. But a queen that serves the king. 
a queen that loves the king, the king of kings. I just want us to remember this morning just who it is that we serve, who it is that we follow. Jesus is our savior, but he is our king. He has won the victory and he is the returning king. He is coming again. He will come again in glory. And it would do us well, all of us, to remember between now and then that we are to follow the king. The king that gave everything, that continues to give everything and asks nothing but our hearts. Just want to read this to you and then we're going to watch a video and we're going to worship again. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. Will you follow the king? The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be at all sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Life is matchless, his goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his love never changes, his word is enough, his grace is sufficient, his reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him for you, he's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hand. 